Hey y'all, I'm Kim. And I'm Lark. And we host Kudzu Killers, Homicide, and Sweet Tea. Each week we discuss the juicy details of real-life murders that happen in the southern U.S., sometimes with inappropriate laughter. But we try to be nice. The stories may be old, cold, or recent. Whatever we find that perks our interest. We download a new episode every Tuesday. You can find us on all the major apps, as well as a few minor ones. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the rest. Just drop on by our host page at Buzzsprout com and pick your favorite app to download us on and be sure and listen and be sure to check our blog at kudzukillerspodcast.blogspot.com where we have extra content that was just too much for our little show so y'all come on sit down with us and have a big old glass of sweet tea and enjoy listening to us talk all things murder bye, bye now. y'all What's up, Sucksters? This is James from What the Suck Podcast. You are listening to a fourth-hand production. Welcome to State of Fear Podcast. My name is Chris, your host, and with me is my friend. What is your name again, buddy? That would be James. Oh, yeah, I forget that. I've been doing this for like 29, 30 weeks, but I keep forgetting. No, I'm just kidding. Quit drinking on the job, dude. I drink on the job, off the job, in the job, out the job, whatever. I drink. Uh, Hey, guys, so today's episode is on New Jersey, the colorful state of New Jersey, I guess I can call it. The Garden State. The Garden State, that's right. Uh, We're going to discuss a rather interesting UFO case that um, get, caught my attention because we actually had a different story planned for New Jersey. We were going to go over the watcher letters, but yes. after researching it, um, there's been quite a few podcasts and, and um, TV shows that have covered it. So we don't do that. We will we'll do it later on, later seasons when we start running out of shit to No, co- I mean, we don't about. do the mainstream. Right. At least we try not to. I mean, it's not as mainstream as the Jersey Devil. Yeah. But it is pretty, it was pretty popular. So... I went through and I, I went through and, and researched, found like a bunch of different things, and then I, I was like, I don't want to do another UFO because we just did the mystery uh, mystery airship from Nebraska. I was like, it's kind of UFO ish, and I don't want to do another UFO. But this one caught my attention because uh, this UFO was seen siphoning water from a nearby water source. Nice. And supposedly, there's an actual picture of the event happening too. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll need to locate that. Yeah. We'll get into that later, but. Uh, First, I want to discuss, uh, and this brings up the topic of USOs, and no, not the uh, United Services Organization. <laughs> uh, no, this is um, 
unidentified submerged object. And what those are are UFOs that are seen either in water or coming in or coming out of water. Okay. And they're actually quite common, especially uh, there are quite a few stories of the Navy, people on Navy ships seeing these out in the middle of the ocean. Okay. Um, and one of the more famous also U- uh, USO incidents was the Shag Harbor incident of 1967 in which it was reported that a UFO crashed into Shag Harbor and there were actually um, rescue efforts to go and try to find this thing. Nice. But they found nothing except for some strange colored foam on top of the, the uh, lake uh, surface. Well, you know, as we discussed in our Nebraska episode, maybe the metal just disintegrated in the water. Maybe, yeah, because there was no metal. <laughs> there was no, no metal, no bodies, or anything were found by either fishermen or by the Canadian Coast Guard, which did the search as well. Well, you remember in the movie Signs, too, water was a severe weakness of these alien yeah. creatures. We, we are never, ever using Shyamalan <laughs> as a source <laughs> reference, <laughs> ever. Uh, but also, there was a uh, report from 2017 of UFOs that was seen sucking water from an ocean. It was actually captured on video as well. So these things are seen, and this is off the coast of Algeria, but these are seen all over the world. Um, there's tons of stories of, of, of sailors, whether they're uh, military or not, yeah. seeing these things under the water, you know, going at super fast speeds or coming out of the water or even going into the water. That is awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and you also have to think of it this way. Possibly a lot of these are submerged because it's easier to uh, maintain secrecy that way. Also, their, their bases might be under the ocean. That is very because true. We have, we have not explored a lot of the ocean yet. Yeah, we, I don't think anything's been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench yet. Mm-mm, you mm-mm. never know. And there's also a theory that the siphoning, that they possibly use water as a fuel source. And that's what the siphoning is, is they're gathering fuel for their next journey or whatever. You never know. Never know. There's all kinds of crazy theories out there. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to discuss the UFO over the uh, Wanakew res- uh, Reservoir. Ron- who do? Wanakew. Wanakew. Wanakew okay. in New Jersey. Um, but first, why don't we go over uh, some interesting facts? Let's do that. About our the colorful state of New, the Garden State of New Jersey. Yes, sir. Uh, New Jersey has the most diners in the world and is often referred to as the diner capital of the world. This I can verify. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, I was in the, when I was in the army. This is where I trained. Oh, okay. I went to I went to Fort Dix for my training. Okay. Uh, for basic and AIT and AIT. Yeah. At least my first MOS. Ah. And then I changed later, but we won't worry about that. Okay. But yes, lots of good food. Nice. Awesome. There's lots of cool food. Awesome. New Jersey has the most shopping malls in one area in the world with seven malls in a 25 square mile radius. Wow. Yipe. How, how, I wanna, I'm going to take a stab and say there's probably 45 Starbucks within that area, too. It's, it's very likely, yeah. yes. The Passaic River. Is that Passaic, right? Pa- the Passaic? Sounds, <laughs> Sounds good to you. Works for me. Okay. <laughs> the Passaic River in Patterson was the site of the first submarine ride in 1878 by its inventor, John P. Holland. I love submarine rides. They are very cool. Yeah. Saltwater taffy's origins can be traced back to Atlantic City in 1883. I like me some saltwater taffy. Yeah. Good stuff. The tallest water tower in the world, the Union Water Sphere, is located None other than Union. I have actually drove past that. Pretty cool. Yes, it is. Neat. And it's very high. Is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, holy hell. <laughs> the pressure coming out of that thing's got to be immense. Oh, I'm sure. 
The street names in the Monopoly board game are named after actual streets in Atlantic City. Very cool. Seems like Atlantic City's coming up a lot here because I think that's kind of their thing. Yeah, I did not know that, though. That's pretty cool. The phonograph, light bulb, and motion pu- pu- uh, pu- 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 golf. The... <laughs> <laughs> The phonograph, light bulb, and motion picture projector were all invented in Thomas Edison's Menlo Park Laboratory. So wait, thank you, Tom. Thank you, yeah. The longest boardwalk in the world is located in Atlantic City. Again, Atlantic City. But I've actually walked that boardwalk, and it is long. It's like two or three miles. I was just going to ask you, remember how long the boardwalk was? Yeah. Did I? Well, let's put it this way: we walked and walked and walked, and we never got to the end on either side. So. Good Lord. And there are tons of casinos out there, the Caesars Palace and stuff. Now, mm-hmm. when we went, unfortunately, it was during kind of a downturn. Okay. It was back in, I think, 2009, something okay. like that, 2008, okay. 2009. Not long after the recession of 2008. Yeah. yeah. It hit pretty hard. So, unfortunately, a lot of the places were dark. I mean, a lot of stuff was closed down. Dang. There were some things going on, but it is a beautiful boardwalk. It's very well made. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, the, the area was a little questioned. Gotcha. To that's, say the least. You know, I was bad. trying to be nice about say what I say about it, but yeah, yeah it was a little rough. I mean, it had gone down because, you know, the business was bad. And, yeah. You know, criminals started creeping around. You know, when bad times hit, the bad people come out. So. Yeah. Speaking of bad people, here's some famous people from New Jersey. Yes. Uh, Meryl Streep, the actress, the award winning actress, Meryl Streep. Yep. Jason Alexander, the short, bald dude from Pretty Seinfeld. Woman. And Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I never watched Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of short, bald dude, James Gandolfini from Sopranos. That's right. Excellent actor. Unfortunately, we lost him way too early. Yeah. Uh, Zoe Saldana, the very, very beautiful Ahura from Star Trek. And. And oh, Gamora. Gamora from, from Guardians of the Guardians Galaxy. Of the Galaxy. Yes. That's right. Uh, John Travolta, the Scientologist with the bad wigs and toupees, is from New Jersey as well. Yo, Danny Zuko, what's up? Uh-huh. And speaking of Danny, speaking of Danny, we have Danny DeVito, the very harsh talking but very hilarious uh five foot nothing actor. Yes, yes. <laughs> Love I mean, that from guy. So man. many things, but I think my favorite thing is from is him and it's always sunny. That's right. Yeah, I love it. It's always sunny. Uh, Bruce Willis from Die Hard. Yes, yippee ki That's right. Famous, famous actors from there as well. Oh, God. And then we've got The Boss. The Boss. Bruce Springsteen. That's right. Whose actual, um, I can't remember, Born to Run is the New Jersey State song. Did not know that. I believe, I don't know if they've changed it, but it, it used to be. Hmm, interesting. So. Yeah, so pretty cool stuff, pretty interesting facts about the Garden State of New Jersey. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, all right, well, why don't we go ahead and get into your weird news of the day? Absolutely. Rock it. Today's news story, my friend, is are UFOs a threat? Yes, they are. 
We need to investigate, says former head of secret U.S. program. Interesting. That's awesome. This article is from LiveScience.com. All right. What does Live Science have to say about that? Well, let's get into it, it, shall we? There's no denying that America has an enduring fascination with unidentified flying objects, myself included, or UFOs. However, UFO interest extends far beyond the U.S., Sightings are reported worldwide in multiple observations in far-flung locations describe aerial objects that are uncannily similar to each other. Luis Elizondo, former head of top-secret U.S. government agency of A, excuse me, (laughs) tasked with investigating UFOs, recently told Live Science. All right. Though some label UFOs as alien spacecraft, the term simply describes aerial objects that defy explanation. One possibility is that they represent technology deployed by a hostile human source. Figures. (laughs) So it's impossible to say for sure that UFOs are harmless, Elizondo said. Evaluating potential threats posed by UFOs should therefore involve the collaboration of leaders around the world, says Elizondo, who left the Pentagon in 2017 and is now a director of global security and special programs to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, a.k.a. S.H.I.E.L.D., a private (laughs) agency (laughs) pursuing evidence of UFOs. Sounds like S.H.I.E.L.D. Absolutely. I think we're at the point now where we're beyond reasonable doubt that these things exist, Elizondo said. We know they're there. We have some of the greatest technology in the world that has confirmed their existence. But where do these objects come from and what are their capabilities and what are their intentions of whoever may have sent them? Hmm. Elizondo and other experts delve into these questions in the second season of the series Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. With the first episode airing tonight, July 11th, on the History Channel. Hmm. Sweet. I like the History Channel. Yeah, good channel. In the show's new season, Elizondo and Chris Mellon, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense and Intelligence. My God, that's a mouthful. (laughs) That's a... Daz, Dazdy. His, his, I, I'm wondering if he's from Winchesterton Fieldville, Iowa. His official title is Dazdy. You know, yeah. D-A-S-D-I, Dazdy. Anyway, they pieced together eyewitness accounts and other clues about intriguing, unexplained sightings by military personnel and civilians, according to the series' website. UFOs are also known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs, and the U.S. Had gov- uh, the U.S. The government... government has been collecting reports of these enigmatic objects since the 1950s. Actually, the 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. Roswell, hello. In the Air Force's Project Blue Book from 1952 to 1969 and through the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Or NICAP. NICAP, a federal agency that has compiled witness accounts of UFO encounters from the 1950s through the 1980s. See right there? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause for a minute. Okay. Every time the government's involved, we never get the good stuff. No, we don't. They hide everything. Keep and they, themselves. And I have said this time and time again, and I don't care what they think. They don't have the right to keep this stuff from people. If this stuff exists, we should know about it. Yeah. I mean, we have the right. But you know what? The aliens don't want us to know either. That that's probably true. Maybe it's probably know, true. It's really the, true. Uh, because if they yeah, through if, the uh, if the, they exist and they want us to know, they would just land somewhere for all of us to see. 
Like the reptilians? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, would, they would land in front of the White House. They would land in front of uh, Times Square. They would land and tell the entire world they exist. They don't, so they don't want us to know either. That is very true. Yeah. That, that's, you know, I have to consider that. But like I said, if we know something, that mm-hmm. should be shared, I think. I think so. At least at this point in time. But then again, people, you know, can't handle that stuff. Yeah. Just like they say in MIB, yeah, I'm going to wipe the line. But, you know, when he says people are dumb, panicky animals and you know it. Yeah. Person is smart, know, but uh, people are not. Yeah. Exactly. They, they get a little nuts. Anyway, the story continues. Project Blue Book investigated more than 12,000 reports of UFO sightings. Most of those have turned out to be misidentification of aircraft, weather balloons, clouds, or starlight, but 700 incidents were left unresolved. Still a good amount. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Long-standing stigma and government secrecy surrounding UFOs have encouraged people to dismiss sightings as hoaxes or jokes. See what I mean? I just, yeah. But as long as the origins and capabilities of even a few of these objects remains unknown, it would be foolish not to take them seriously, Elizondo explained. There's something in our sky, and we don't know what it is. We don't know where it's from. Is that a problem? Question mark. From a national security's perspective, yes, it's a problem. We need to understand what these are, and in order to make the determination if they are a threat. Elizondo, a former military intelligence officer, led the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Why in the hell does every <laughs> government agency have like 12-word titles? I don't know. A-tip. The A-tip. The A-tip. But what a, what a hell of a job that would be. I know, yeah. Aerospace Threat Identification Program. I want the job of the I person like who gets to name all these and come up with the acronyms. That's, that's the job I want. Absolutely which was formed in 2007 to probe reports of unexplained aerial sightings and reportedly shuttered in 2012, Life Science previously had reported. As with Project Blue Book, a number of ATIP's UFO cases turned out to be misidentifications or technology malfunctions. Hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that for a damn minute. Yeah, me either. Some UFOs remained unidentified. Over time, Elizondo's involvement with ATIP led him to the realization that the bureaucracy of the system was failing the public. Amen. Keeping information about UFOs secret and downplaying the risk they might pose. Thank you. That's exactly what I just said. That's really what led me to resign, he told Live Science. Many of the UFO sightings that ATIP investigated were recorded by members of the military in restricted airspace. Of course, restricted. Mm-hmm. Among them were three mid-air encounters that U.S. Navy pilots captured vi- captured on video in 2004 and 2015, which we, I believe, featured on an episode prior, prior to so, this. Yeah. yeah, I believe so, yeah. The footage was officially declassified and released online on April 27th. Other instances involved UAPs flying at what appeared to be hypersonic speeds, more than five times the speed of sound. Hypersonic. We we do have some aircraft that can keep up with that. They just don't commonly tell people. You mean black market projects? They've got one that goes like Mach 15. I mean, it's smoking, but it's like a suborbital rocket ship. This thing is like, you know, takes off from the ground, can go to space and land and stuff, but they just haven't said nothing yet. It's all black projects. Yes, it is. None of the objects had visible wings or other means of propulsion. What's more, they appeared to be performing maneuvers that would have subjected them to su- 
ooh, good Lord, would have subjected them to as much as 700 times the normal pull of gravity. Damn. Or 700 Gs. 700 which would, Gs. That would kill you. Yeah. Your blood would literally go all into your feet and you would die. Your bones would be soup. Yep. Of course, there is no way to confirm these estimates as the sightings were so fleeting and much of the obvious documentation is not readily available. Shocker. (laughs) To put that into perspective, airplane cockpits can withstand only about 18 Gs before cracking. Jeez. Wow. And people can typically endure just a few seconds at 9 Gs before losing consciousness. As gravity draws the blood into the extremities and oxygen ceases to flow to the brain, according to PBS. See, that's what I said, you know. PBS, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be my hope that we can find elegant solutions to what these things are, he said. If you can show me one technology that mankind has ever been able to build that does that, great. But so far, no one's been able to show that. To me or anybody in the U.S. government. Government. Yep. But that is the story. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the way they get around the fact that, um, you know, the human body can only take nine Gs and that, like, cockpits only can take 18 Gs and that these things supposedly go at 700 Gs. Yeah. It, it's very much, again, I know it's a movie or whatever, a TV show, but it's very much the, the, the Star Trek uh, idea of warp speed. Yes. The, the, the ship itself is not moving space around it is moving. That is so correct. Your ship is not actually going 700 Gs. At least where you're on in the ship is not going that fast. You still see it. You still feel that as normal, but the space yeah. around you is moving. That's how they get around the fact that the body can't take more than nine Gs and the thing's doing 700. That's what I believe. Yeah, but see, they can just estimate it. But see, these things, like spacecraft, probably have so far advanced propulsion. Oh, yeah. It's like you said. Uh, I know we discussed in other episodes, they can also go interdimensionally mm-hmm. to instantly mm-hmm. transport themselves to another place on the planet or space. Just gone. Yeah. Wormhole technology oh, yeah. and stuff. For so. sure. Yeah. Absolutely cool, man. I love it. So as we said, today's episode is over the UFOs of Wanaku Reservoir. Let's just Jersey. stay on the staying on the UFO kick. That's man. right. Oh, what was that again? Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all this information on today's episode came from one article. It was a really good article over on Weird Weird New Jersey. Actually, it's WeirdNJ.com. Um, and they have a huge plethora of information on New Jersey. And although there's apparently a lot of weird stuff that happens there. Yes. Not, not just uh, gambling and mobsters, but no. other weird uh, paranormal and supernatural stuff. So go check it out. But this whole article that I'm going to read right now came from there. Um, again, we we always post the um, research in the show notes. Uh, we link all the articles that we 
look at for the research in the show notes as well. So you can go check it out there and read it for yourself if you'd like. Yes, indeed. But January 11th, 1966, started off like any other midwinter day in the small suburban town of Wanakue, New Jersey. I'm assuming I'm saying that right, but I don't care. The air was clear and cold. Kids were enjoying the holiday vacation from school. And damn, through January 11th, holy crap. <laughs> Good Lord, it's a long well, vacation, you know, man. Well, 1966, yeah. Yeah. When I was in, when I was a kid, no, of course, I was born in 67. You were a kid like. This was before I was born. 60 years ago, yeah. But when I was in kindergarten through fourth, fifth grade, our spring vacations, our Christmas vacation, yeah. went for two and three weeks. I mean, I think yeah. they do that kind of now, but I mean, back then it was really long. I guess, like I guess I've been a in a month. I've been in the uh, um, business world for so long. I forget what a vacation is. You know what I'm saying? And we used to start school in early September. We didn't start in the end of July no, that or I the remember, first part yeah. of August. That I remember for sure. You yeah. know, we got out earlier. So we actually enjoyed three full months of summer between years. Yeah. And we grew up great. It was great. And residents of the Passaic County Borough went about their usual daily routines. Little did they know that before the day was over, something would happen. Something fantastic and unexplainable that would change the lives of many of the townsfolk forever. It all started in the early evening of that Tuesday night. It was about 6.30 p.m. and the winter sun was already long gone over the western horizon, past the great Winnicue Reservoir and behind the darkened Ramapo Mountain Range. Wanakue patrolman Joseph Sisko was in his cruiser when a call from the Pompton Lakes dispatcher came over his police radio. It was a report of a glowing light, possibly a fire. Then, as if right out of a sci-fi movie, Cisco heard the words, People in Oakland, Ringwood, Patterson, Tatoa, and Butler claim there's a flying saucer over the Wanakue. I pulled into a sand pit in open area to get my bearings, Cisco recalls. There was a light that looked bigger than any, any of the stars, about the size of a softball or volleyball. It was a pulsating white stationary light changing to red. It stayed in the air. There was no noise. I was trying to figure out what it was. Wanakue Mayor Harry T. Wolf, Councilman Warren Hagstrom, and Arthur Burton, and the mayor's 14-year-old son Billy were on their way to oversee the burning of the borough's Christmas trees. Burnt? Okay. When they heard the reports, <laughs> something very white, very bright, and much bigger than a star was hovering over the Wanakue Reservoir. They decided to pull into a sand pit near the Raymond Dam at the headworks to meet Officer Sisko and get a better look at the thing. The mayor's son Billy spotted the object at once, flying low and gliding oddly over the vast frozen lake like a huge star. But it didn't flicker, Billy told reporters the next day. It was just a continuous light that changed from white to red to green and back to white. It was a Christmas UFO. Oh. Yay. It was Santa. Maybe Santa Claus, but he had his uh, cloaking device on. Yeah, he was on vacation. He was heading to the south, so he's just like, oh, damn. It yep. must it must have kicked out like over New Jersey, like like puttered <laughs> out or something. He's like, he's probably inside the, the cockpit, like, damn it, get, damn it, damn it, get That's oh, right. banging on the dashboard. The phenomenon was terribly strange, Mayor Wolf would later recall. He described the shape of the unidentified object as oval and estimated to be between two and nine feet in diameter. It's kind of a large range. Now, right? didn't they say volleyball or softball? They did. Um, again, now, all of a sudden, it's nine feet? Well, and see, that's another thing, too, is there, there's another phenomenon that I've, I've read about where um, two people seeing the same UFO can sometimes report different uh, descriptions. Hmm. Because of the, probably because of the... The type of um, phenomenon that it is, that it affects people differently or people are can be affected by it differently. Okay. So it, one person may see it as one thing, another person may see it as something else. And from the initial people's, the initial reporter's um, 
perspective, it may have looked more oval or more, more volleyball like, but the mayor, if he was closer to it and saw it better, it may have been more oval from his point of view. So who knows? Logical. The next thing. Thank you, Spock. The next thing <laughs> the officer Cisco remembers is that his patrol car's radio was going bananas as calls from all over a 20 mile radius flooded into the police headquarters. Cisco radioed officer George Dykeman, who was on patrol nearby. Just as Dykeman received Cisco's message, two teenagers came running up to his patrol car, frantically pointing at the sky and, and shouting, look, look. At that moment, Q civil defense director Bentley Spencer drove up with CD member Oh, civil defense member Richard Verum Verumman. <laughs> That's a weird Vroom. last name. Verumman. The police radios are all jammed up, Spencer said excitedly. Dykeman and Spencer gaped at the sky along with Michael Sloat, 16, and Peter Melagree, 15. What the heck is it? Dykeman wondered out loud. Never seen anything like it in my life. Back at the sandpit, Joseph Sisko's radio crackled as another unbelievable message came across the airwaves. Something's burning a hole in the ice. Something with a bright light on going up and down. Then another transmission fought its way through the din. Oh boy, something just landed in front of the dam. Damn. Damn is right. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer and reservoir employee Fred Steins raced to the top of the 1500 foot long Raymond Dam where they described seeing a bolt of light shoot down as if attracted to the water like a beam emitted from a porthole. Interesting. Patrolman Cisco, Mayor. Now these are all, these are all people in in government. Yeah, these aren't just people like at the gas station or truckers that are stopping for like some no dos. These are all government. These are all government people. These people who are supposed to be know what the hell they're looking at. I guess so. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly, host of Southern Fried True Crime. I cover contemporary and historical cases, and I love listener suggestions. And like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone and anything. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format, kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. Patrolman Cisco, Mayor Wolf, and town councilmen Hagstrom and Barton climbed to the top of the dam to get a better look. There was something up there that was awful bright, Hagstrom recalls. We don't know what it was. We thought it was a helicopter. We didn't hear a motor. It looked like a helicopter with big landing lights on. We got goosebumps all over when we saw where the hole was. According to John Shuttle, another councilman who witnessed... Was there a councilman meeting that night or something? I, I don't know. And there might have been in the mayor and all the councilmen. Or you know what? I think, I guess everybody was going to the tree burning that they were doing for the Christmas yeah, trees. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's what it was. That, yeah. Maybe if I read my own story or remember my own story from like two seconds ago. <laughs> uh, another councilman who witnessed the UFO. There was no doubt about it. It was there, he said. I saw it. A bright white object, two to three feet across... And it's color. No, not color. Shade. It kept changing. Curious residents who had been listening to their police scanners began to congregate around the entrance of the reservoir, hoping to catch a glimpse of the mysterious flying object. Traffic slowed to a crawl and then stopped altogether as motorists watched agape from the vehicle's windows. Now that I will give motorists, uh, 
you know, I'll give them a pass on that one. Okay. Usually I get pissed off. When they rubberneck. When they rubberneck <laughs> and everybody yeah. wants to see a wreck, you know. Yeah. I want to see somebody laying on the pavement or I want to see, you know, mangled stuff, you know, but busted yeah. up cars and stuff. But now, but for this, for UFO, I'll give them a pass. I, right. I would stop and look my damn self. Oh, yeah, me too. Reservoir Police Lieutenant George Destito was forced to close the main gate of the reservoir to keep out swarms of onlookers who converged from the north and south on Ringwood Avenue. People were coming out of the woodwork, Cisco recalls. He and other town officials stood atop of the dam in the freezing January night air for half an hour watching the strange light. Half an hour. Half All an of hour. these witnesses saw it for half an hour. Yep, so you can't you can't uh it's not BS it's, this one away. Not nope. a plane. Nope. It's not a helicopter. Nope. If it was a helicopter, it can hover, but even a half an hour, at some point, they would have heard the blades. Yep. Just yeah. some kind of mysterious floating orb-like device. And it shot a beam down in the ice and cut a hole. Sweet. Then, without warning, it sped off to the southeast. It hovered briefly over Lakeland Regional High School in the Midvale section of town, then reappeared over the Hodale Sound Pit in Haskell, where volunteer firemen were burning Christmas trees. From there, the UFO continued southeast to the direction of Pine Lakes in Wayne. Before the sun came up the next day, Joseph Sisko would see the bright light once more. At about 4 a.m. on the morning of January 12th, he saw the object moving from north to south along the horizon over the town of Wickoff. <laughs> I mean, just... Whack off. <laughs> Crazy-ass names, man. I know. He and Wanakue Police Sergeant David Sisko would take turns... Damn, Sisko and Sisko. That's a damn TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Spelled differently, but yeah. sound the same. <laughs> Spelled differently, but... Tonight's like, episode yeah. of Cisco and Cisco. <laughs> the men come face to face with aliens. Sure. <laughs> okay. Would... <laughs> James and I recently discovered a podcast that we're now super obsessed with called Sword and Scale Podcast. Absolutely. It is the longest running true crime podcast, and it combines real audio and scary stories that will chill your bones. I love the real audio parts of the podcast. They're amazing. Yeah, the, the host and creator, Mike Baudet, expertly narrates each shocking episode to fully immerse listeners into a carefully crafted real life story that proves that the worst monsters are real. It's spanning over seven seasons and has over 160 episodes. There's so much true crime to binge sword and scale is available bi-weekly on apple podcasts spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, TuneIn, tune in and wherever you listen to podcasts subscribe today and be sure to leave a review that's sword and scale also available at swordandscale.com subscribe today and give it a listen sword and scale proving that the worst monsters are real he and wanakue police sergeant davis cisco no relation would take turns looking at it through a pair of binoculars the next day cisco's wife told him that she too had witnessed what she described as a silver Cigar-shaped object moving south from their home about a thousand feet from the reservoir. All right, January 12, 1966. One day after the initial sightings of the UFO, patrolman Jack Wardlaw reported seeing a bright white disc floating in the vicinity of his home in the Stonetown section of Wanakue, just west of the reservoir. It seemed like only a block away, above Lily Mountain, maybe a thousand feet up, Wardlaw said. Don't ask me what it was, but I do know it wasn't any helicopter, plane, or comet. It shot laterally right and left. It stopped. It moved up straight. Then it moved down and disappeared in the direction of Ringwood to the north. Wardlaw described the object as definitely disc-shaped and at certain angles, egg-shaped. Sergeant David Sisko said that he was on patrol at about 6.30 that evening when the UFO noiselessly hovered into view. It glided, then streaked faster than a jet, he told reporters. And when it rose up, it went straight up. Reservoir guard and former Wanakue policeman... 
Charles, Theodora, and Sisko went to the top of the dam to take a look at the bright light. We looked across the water and saw a cylinder-shaped object, Theodora re remembers. It was moving back and forth like a rocking chair motion. We were astonished. A few minutes later, the object shot straight up into the sky until it was indistinguishable from the other stars. Theodora said he didn't hear a sound while the light show was going on. I didn't believe in UFOs. I thought they were a lot of bull. Then I saw it. It was, it was a breathtaking sight, something I'll never forget. After the January 1966 sightings, radar was installed atop of the reservoir dam. October 10th, 1966. Whatever it was that visited the skies over the Wanakee Reservoir in January reappeared for its most fantastic showing to date in October of that same year. The first reported sighting of it came about 9 p.m. on the evening of Monday the 10th when Robert J. Gordon of Pompton Lakes and his wife Betty saw what they described as a singular saucer-shaped object about the size of an automobile glowing with a bright white brilliance. At first I thought it was a star, Betty Gordon recalled, but it seemed to be moving. It had a definite pattern. It would move to the left of the tower and then move back directly over the tower. I'm quite sure it was not a star or a planet. Bob Gordon, an officer of the Pompton Lakes Police Force, called police headquarters and requested that a patrolman be dispatched to their home. Officer Lynn Webb... Shut the fuck up, that's his name. <laughs> There's no way that's a, that's a real last name. That's gotta stay in. Okay. Officer Lynn Wetback, who had all <laughs> responded, but was told that the quote unquote saucer was already gone. <laughs> the Gordons and their neighbor Lorraine Varga, who had also witnessed the UFO, told Wetback that the object was headed in the direction of Wanakew Reservoir. The officer radioed Wanakew police notified Sergeant Ben Thompson, a six-year veteran of night duty with the Wanakew Reservoir Police Department, who was driving his patrol car south along the reservoir at the time. Now, I got to say, that at this time, there are a yeah, lot of cops that's, that's, that, are, that are seeing this. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And I'm sitting here going, are you, are you kidding me with that name, though? Oh, I know. That's I, like, holy crap. I can't believe that is someone's actual i've never name. seen that name actually used so folks As, if you're listening to this please know that this is how it's written you can go yes. see the article for yourself yes that is, and and those who don't understand as a hispanic i can tell you that is a derogatory term for a hispanic yes yes for a mexican citizen that crosses illegally unfortunately yeah, yeah. so uh but that's the officer's last name i Anyway, moving on. Yes, <laughs> might chop that whole thing out if you want. I'm gonna leave that leave that in because that's how it's written. That's yeah, true. It's how it's written. Thomas looked out of his car and saw, to his astonishment, the UFO heading right toward him. He pulled his cruiser over to Cooper Swamp, near the Dead Man's Curve stretch of Westbrook Road. I saw the object coming at me. He said it was extremely bright. It was a bright white light, bright like when a light bulb is about to blow. It was very low. It appeared to be about 75 feet over the mountain. That would be Woodbeam Mountain. It was traveling very quickly in an indefinite pattern, at first right, then up and down, then repeating the pattern. Distances are deceiving, but it might have covered an area of half a mile. It went straight over my head, stopped in midair, and backed right up. It then started zigzagging from left to right. It was doing tricks, making acute angular turns instead of gradual curved ones. It looked about as big as a parachute. I got out of my car and continued to watch for almost five minutes. 
was about 200 to 250 yards away. It was the shape of a basketball with a center scooped out and a football thrust through it. That's a weird description to say. It was round, yeah. like a like a basketball. Yeah. And then, but then they had like a football in the middle. That is, yeah. But but you notice how many different shapes and sizes. If this is the same object that the, everybody's been seeing, it, yeah. it's like you said, it's perception. The angle, I guess, and stuff like this, because we've heard oval, we've heard egg shape, we've yeah. heard a basketball shape, we've heard, this, you know, what... And, and it's doing uh, all these different tricks and wide. stuff. It's We've doing heard. zigzag, all kinds of yeah. weird stuff, man. This, this thing is is not like it's not one. It's like not one object. It seems it's like very it's like cool. Multiple though. objects. Yeah. I'm liking what I hear. Yeah. Sometimes the football appeared to be perpendicular to the basketball, and sometimes standing up on end. Wow. There were two different gadgets. It didn't make much noise, but as it was moving, it brushed the water beneath it. I watched it maneuver, stirring up brush and water in the reservoir. It was about 150 feet up. I had difficulty seeing because the light was so bright it blinded me. At this point, some motorists along Westbrook Road also began to notice a strange light hovering in the sky and slowed their cars to get a better look at it. Fearing a collision, Thompson went back to his patrol car to turn on the red dome light as a warning. The instant it started to flash, he remembers, the object sped away over the reservoir and without passing over the horizon, disappeared. After three or four minutes, it went out as if a light bulb had been turned out. It seems as if it had gone right into the mountain. I was dumbfounded. It was more than a little frightening. Back at the Wanakue police station, telephones were deluged with calls from nervous residents who called in sightings and asked for answers. The switchboards were completely jammed, recalled an officer at the Wanakue Reservoir Station. So was Pompton Lakes. There must have been 150 calls. Some witnesses may have their doubts about what they saw that night, but Ben Thompson is convinced he saw a UFO. Of course, no report of a UFO sighting would be complete without the element of an official cover-up, either actual or perceived by the U.S. government. Of course they're going to cover it up. Nobody, you know, they don't want to ever let any of this good stuff out. That's right. And this, but with that many witnesses, I'm sorry, you can't so squash something that many, like that. Not, not just witnesses, but police police officers. Yes. And... and, and City, of, city officials, city officials, regular citizens, city officials. you know, yeah. you know, so yeah, yeah, the, the hell with a cover up. Yeah. Good luck with that. And this is in this case is no different. Shortly after midnight on the first night of sightings over Wanakue, word came from Stewart Air Force Base in Newburgh, New York, that an Air Force helicopter with a powerful beacon had been on a mission over the area about the same time the UFO was spotted. What a bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry. That, that that's complete crap. They, yeah. they always make that up. A helicopter can't make those kind of movements. No, I'm sorry, not it even doesn't close. make no way. those acute angle turns and stuff like that. Not even the most advanced helicopters. Mm-hmm. You not. can tell. Plus, there's noise. You know, you're gonna tell me this thing is silent. Yeah. Yes, they have whisper mode, but you can still hear them. Oh yeah. You know, I'm sorry, they're not dead silent, and they don't make these right angle quick moves and stuff like that and sorry as long as this thing was cited by all the witnesses at some point they would have seen it as a helicopter absolutely yeah, yeah. that you know bs i mean even even if the beacon on the helicopter is bright if it makes all those moves at some point the light's going to go away from the, the person's eyes and they'll be able to see the shape of the object of the I helicopter have, i have seen military aircraft up close all kinds all types mm-hmm. i've seen their running lights and stuff yes they're bright yeah but they're not to the point where like this guy said it's above there and it's blind from 250 yards away. Yeah, that, Sorry. That's, that's way too bright. <laughs> that's another buzzard. 
At 6.15 a.m. the following morning, an official spokesman for Stewart Air Force Base, Major Donald Sherman, denied that any such aircraft had been on any such mission that night and that the helicopter explanation had been without foundation. So he's actually backing up the, uh, yeah. The next day, the Pentagon said that the mystery object was indeed a helicopter with a powerful beacon. So the Pentagon is going over him and saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's the... So he's saying no, but then depending on saying, shut up, it is a helicopter, shut up. Yeah, kiss my ass. Kiss my white ass. McGuire Air Force Base in Wrightstown said that the object was a weather balloon, which had been launched from Kennedy International Airport. Shortly afterward, the base called local police to tell them that their balloon explanation was just a lot of hot air. Oh, cool. So, bump, bump, bump. How how clever. So, man, they're, they're throwing everything out there to try to get this cover-up going on. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, with the American public, you can start rumors and you can start, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can seed an idea or you can throw something out there that's complete crap. Right. And it'll propagate. Yeah. It'll create so many different stories that all of a sudden the true facts actually get buried in garbage. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Officials at Stewart Air Force Base and at McGuire denied any interest in the UFO. However, Wanakue police reported seeing a pair of jets fly over the reservoir shortly after the UFO was first reported, and Patrolman Joe Sisko said that he distinctly recalls seeing helicopters in the Wanakue skies that night. Okay, so this happens also quite a bit, especially like it happened with um, the sighting that occurred here, not not far from here, uh-huh. um, the, the Cash Landrum UFO uh, yes. that happened in the 70s. The, after the, the three individuals saw the UFO within 30 feet of themselves, uh, it took off. And then immediately after that, there was a swarm of black helicopters that followed it. Of course. Yeah. So saying that also, it re, take that last sentence into account. Patrolman Joe Sisko said he distinctly recalls seeing helicopters in the Wanakue skies that night after they'd seen the UFO. So they all know what a helicopter looks like. Yes. They saw helicopters that night, mm-hmm. but they, they were distinctly recall seeing it after the object was seen. Yes. These helicopters were after the object is exactly. what they were, they were doing. They were, and they were just, like I said, they trying to feed a bunch of bull to the public. So to say these people throw people off, right. To say that they don't know what a helicopter looks like is crap. Exactly. Yeah. 13 years after the 1966 UFO sightings at the Wanakue reservoir, the nonprofit organization Vestigia, which is based in Byram, prepared a detailed study of the strange lights that were witnessed. Sorry, Vestigia, not Vestigia. Vestigia, an organization that seeks to provide plausible scientific explanations for unexplained phenomenon, came to the conclusion that the glowing lights that were seen over the Wanakue by hundreds of people, hundreds of people, were the result of seismic pressure from the nearby Ramapo Fault. Oh. <laughs> According to the Vestigia... Or Vestigia founder Robert Jones, the fault in the Earth's crust causing... The, okay, they're saying basically it's like swamp gas, basically bullshit. I'm not going to read the rest of this dumb bullshit. The times of extreme pressure, the, this highly charged field is supposedly escaping into the atmosphere. Jones asserts that under just the right climatic... Climatic, right? Yep. Yeah. Jones asserts that just under the right climatic conditions, air particles that are exposed to this energy field will ionize, and the result is a glowing sphere of light. Now, it's worth noting here that this is exactly the same rationale that was offered by Vestigia to explain the Hookerman lights after the, their extensive research on the Chester-Flanders railroad tracks. Vestigia's theories, however, did little to dissuade eyewitnesses from their belief that what they had seen was indeed a UFO. Wanakue officers Jack Wardlaw and Chuck Theodore rejected the Army's initial explanations of the mysterious lights as merely swamp gas 
or a helicopter, and did likewise with Vestigia's contention that the glowing orbs were caused by a seismic anomaly. I've ridden these streets for, at midnight for years, Wardlaw says, and I know a strange light when I see one. The army tried to tell me it was marsh gas. That's ridiculous. Then they said it was a helicopter. Well, if you can't discern a helicopter or hear one, you have to be pretty bad off. One week after Stewart Air Force Base sent down its inexplicable explanation for the Q sightings, the Pentagon offered its own scenario. What hundreds of people had witnessed in the skies over the reservoir that January and described as a brilliant white light which floated, hovered, shot up, down and side to side, was in actuality, according to the great military minds of Washington, nothing more than the planets Venus and Jupiter in a rare celestial alignment. What? A load of governmental bullshit. <laughs> That's you know, I try to keep the cuss words to a minimum on here, mm-hmm. but that kind of stuff actually pisses me off because they're basically calling all these people stupid. Yeah. You're all just a bunch of idiots. A bunch of, you know, bunch of morons. Kind of, can't well, tell a planet from a UFO okay, from a helicopter. First of all, you're up in Washington. We're down here looking at what's going on. You're mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away. Yeah. You know, DC's quite a bit away from Jersey. Yeah. For them to insult those people's intelligence like that, yeah, you know what? Just go with it and say, hey, yeah, but uh, I've never seen Jupiter and Venus drill a hole in the ice or make right-angle turns right. or hover 75 feet over a mountain or, or whatever. Foot like a feather or zigzag or all the yeah. stuff that it did. Yeah. So, so stupid. So suck it. And it was below below yeah. the horizon on several occasions oh yeah sorry jupiter doesn't come down to earth and hover around a like lot of that. times it was like maybe 100 feet up in the air and that was it yeah, yeah. i'm, I'm telling stupid. you right now they're feeding the lime and they expect people to just they're buy doing it. a very bad job of trying to cover this up very yeah. bad well yeah. i mean because you can't you have that many eyewitnesses right you can't cover it up no. all you can do is cloud Cloud it up in public with a bunch of garbage and try to throw people off. You know, yep. that's what they do. That's what, that's what yeah, they that's do. That's what the government does. Government. So the cool thing about this article is that there are two, two, uh, uh, I guess, reader submissions that, that people sent um, regarding the story. The first one is somebody who vouched for uh, Sergeant Joe Sisko. He says, I live in Wanakew, right next to the reservoir in the 1960s during the UFO sightings period. No one ever did find out what created the lights. I personally know Joe Sisko, the police chief at the time. He lived a block away from me at the time. He was always an honest, truthful, and a straightforward guy who told it like it is. I never got to see the lights, but many of my friends did. There was something out there. Dang right there was. Someone else wrote in about the uh, lights as well. It says, I grew up in New Jersey, and I'm very familiar with the Wanakue area. I graduated from a local high school in 1969. I spent four years in the U.S. Navy and then returned to live with my parents until my marriage in 1976. We remained in New Jersey until 1980 when a job transfer took us to the Midwest. I served on an aircraft carrier and heavy cruiser during my time in the Navy and consider myself to be familiar with most types of aircraft. I've seen various helicopters and high-performance aircraft during the day and night hours. I've kept up my interest in military and civilian aircraft over the years and why I would not pass myself off as an expert, I do feel I've seen more things in the sky than most. I consider myself to be skeptic on the question of UFOs. I do not subscribe to any one particular theory, but I do believe that many incidents are deserving of further study. In the case of the Wanakue sightings, which apparently have been going on for a long time, there may be some phenomena in the area which is of interest, although I'm not sure it involves uh, space aliens. I personally saw one set of lights that you might find interesting. This occurred in 1974 during the winter months, I guess at January or February. 
was about 10 p.m. on a clear night. I was on a weekend pass from the military and was returning to my parents' house from visiting my sister who lived directly west of the reservoir. My usual route to return to my parents' house was to follow Westbrook Road east across the reservoir and then turn south to Ringwood Avenue. I was just east of Townsend Road when I observed a set of lights in the sky. The lights were very bright and appeared to be one large light in the center with a small light on either side. The lights did not appear to have a point source. They definitely had a circular shape and a hard edge. The relationship of the lights to each other remained constant throughout the incident, which might indicate that there was a solid object behind the illumination. And that's another thing. See, there is a completely different explanation. Right. Yeah. That's the first time I've heard multiple lights. I know I've, we've heard one light. Right. You know, one bright light, but now this one's got three. And so. This was only five years later after this. No, I'm taking it was uh, nine years later after the 66. No, uh, what is that? What is it? says 74, right? Yeah, so eight. that's eight years still. Yeah. Eight years, that's not a long time after. No, it is not. No. The color was an intense blue white. Probably the best way I can describe it would be similar to looking directly into the tail cone of a high performance jet like an F4 Phantom with the afterburners lit off. I observed the object, for once a better term, above the hills, which bordered the west side of the reservoir through the windshield of my car. The evening was very quiet and I could not hear any engine or helicopter blade noise, which would have been significant at what appeared to be a low altitude of the object. Yeah. And that was submitted by Dave. By Dave, who, uh, yeah. Dave's who not here. <laughs> <laughs> who, who submitted that, who saw that in 74. Yep. Yeah. So that that was a crazy, crazy cool UFO exp- uh, account. I mean, seen by yes. so many people. Seen by so many people and not explained. And seen for such a, I mean, 30 minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're looking at something unknown yeah or not familiar it's an eternity and i think it's very cool that the object never actually threatened anybody or did no. anything it was just going about its business and i'm sure it was aware that at least some people were observing it yeah and, and to to see it drill a hole in the ice with a beam yeah that is freaking cool and the only thing the only time it actually showed any kind of reaction i think to the interaction was like when the cop turned on his uh his uh, patrol lights, yeah, or his car yeah, yeah, lights, yeah. and I guess frightened it off, or it thought, "Oh crap, here comes the fuzz," <laughs> and it hauled ass. So what you're saying is that the UFO was here probably to pick up some weed, and so it's all the cops, and it was like, "Crap, hey, it's the popo, get you out!" Know, Earth got the best weed in the galaxy, man, so and Dave's not here, man. <laughs> ah, Speaking of which, awesome. All right, James, so why don't you tell the fine folks again about the Patreon and all the good stuff. Uh, I'll certainly do that. Uh, you can find our show on the fourthhand.com network along with our sister project, What the Suck, mm-hmm. along with ev- uh, many other very fine programs. Yes, very fine uh, programs. Great people. Give them a shout. Give them a listen. Yes, check it's, out all their good well shows. It's well worth it. Uh, you can also find us on the Big Evil Facebook, of course. Mm-hmm. We are on Instagram, and we are now on Twitter. Nice. We've been on there for a while, so that's and it's really starting to take off. So that's yeah. Excellent. Uh, you can sponsor us if you like. We would appreciate the support. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash state of fear, all one word. If you got, we got three levels. We got $1, $5, and $10. Yep. You can be a hitchhiker, you can be a backseat driver, or you can yes. ride, shotgun. ride shotgun. That's up to you. Shotgun, 
you know, like I said, we're really trying hard to put some good content up there for you. There's already quite so, a bit up there. And again, yeah, there is. I mean, even the, the, the backseat driver is not too bad. It's not too shabby. Nope. Backseat driver and shotgun, at the very least, you'll get access, early access to episodes. Not yes. just app, but they're, they're ad-free episodes. Yep. Uh, you get access to the bloopers and the outtakes, but the shotgun, you get access to the video podcast episodes. You get access to um, all of our side uh, store, uh, our, our other section, our yeah. rest stops, which are the bonus episodes, which don't necessarily cover a state, but cover something, you know, specific. Yeah, specific. we did have a couple up, but they have been moved over to Patreon. So, yeah, you there'll be many be, more coming. Yes, there will be. Uh, like I said, and the material is awesome. Yep. Uh, we appreciate the support. Give us, you don't know, give check us out a- our merch. Please check out our merchandise on our online store at tpublic.com forward slash what SOF. Su- is it SOF? SOF, yeah. yeah. Not what the... That's what the... Su- that's, that's, staying that no, that's staying in. That's staying in. That's staying in. Yeah, that's in. That's, that's staying in. Well, okay. Yeah. Good enough. But yeah, yeah we, well, both of them are there anyways. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, James, but I'm about ready to head on to that next state. Yes, sir. Me too. I think it's about time to get down the road. But before we go, let me. Uh, Why don't you reach in the uh, reach, reach in the, the tape box, box here and, and see, what see what I can find this week? Yeah. What do we, what do we got today, man? What did you find in that tape box? All right, man. This week's band is the Rough Puppies. Man, this is a night. Nice, that's an awesome name. Yeah. It. They are a rock band out of Nashville, and the song we're going to feature this week is Frantic. Frantic. And we're, so let's let's get it in the deck and get on down the road. What do you say? Well, where can they find? Where can people find them, real quick? Okay, well, they can find them at www.reverbnation.com forward slash The Rough Puppies. And you can find them on Facebook, of course, The Rough Puppies, all one word. Cool. All right, man. Well, let's check out that song, shall we? Let's slam it in and jam. Let's get down the road, brother. And we'll see you all in the next state.
listening to a fourth hand joint.